rejoice, let us rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Grace and peace and welcome to the parking lot at Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia. I'm delighted to know that uh, if you don't want to have to look at me, you get to look at these beautiful trees behind me. Wonderful colors we have for fall. If you were with us last time we had our drive-in service, we were uh, graced by a few deer that were prancing behind me. They were enjoying the grace of God just as much as we were. Maybe they'll come back, who knows? Uh, but I'm delighted that you are here for our third drive-in service of Word and Sacrament. And for those of you who are joining online who couldn't be here, it is a privilege to be a pastor even at a time like this, but in particular to be the pastor of Cokesbury United Methodist Church. I just want to share a few reminders for you about the way this service works. Now that you all are here and you're in your cars, you can't get out of your cars. You need to remain in your cars throughout the whole service. Uh, toward the end, after we pray over the communion elements, I will come and distribute them to your cars. Also take up an offering if that's something you would uh, choose to do. And then you may take those offering elements and partake in them uh, when you get ready to leave. But remember, now that you're here, please stay in your vehicles for the entirety of the service. Also just want to remind you that we're continuing to, to stream uh, worship on Sunday mornings, both at 11 o'clock on Facebook and then 11.15 on YouTube. We're going to continue to do that for the foreseeable future, as it's not really uh, safe for us to be gathering in person in large groups. We're starting to think about Christmas Eve, which I know sounds like it's far away because yesterday was Halloween, but it will be here before we know it. As of right now, the tentative plan is to have a drive-in service on Christmas Eve at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then we will also have a, uh, a recorded uh, a, a online service that you can watch from the comfort of your homes that will happen around 7 o'clock on Christmas Eve. So if we make any changes or we add anything, we'll be sure to make sure the whole church knows about it. But I just wanted to keep you all abreast of it as much as possible. Again, you can connect with a lot of things we're doing at the church right now through our Facebook page, our website. All of that information is online for you whenever uh, you would like to come across it. The last sort of announcement is that today is All Saints Day. All Saints Day is a time set apart in the life of the church where we remember the saints who are no longer uh, with us in this earthly life. Uh, there will be a time for prayer uh, later in our service where I will be silent, and I encourage you in your vehicles to name names of people who have died from your life, whether they've died in the last calendar year or anyone for whom you would identify as a saint from your past that is no longer alive. Uh, this is a time for us to be uh, reflective, but also to be very, very grateful for all who have come before us and for us to pray that God might, through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, make it so that one day after we are gone, someone names our name as a saint from their life. So with that, I'd like you to, as much as you're able, find a comfortable posture in your cars for a moment of silent prayer.
Lord, let your will be done, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. Amen. A little more than four years ago, I was serving another church in a different part of the state, and things were rather politically tumultuous. I don't know if any of you remember what that was like four years ago. We've come such a long way, haven't we? So a little more than four years ago, I was serving at another church, and I was feeling like uh, there was a lot of anxiety about political tensions and presidential races and all that sort of stuff. So I came up with a great idea. We were going to have a communion service on the evening of the election. And I said, this is going to be great. We've got people in our church who swing left and people who swing right and people who are in the center. And on election evening, rather than sitting in front of our televisions, waiting for updates, instead of scrolling through Twitter over and over again, we're going we're gonna to worship the Lord. And we're going to break bread with each other because we're going to remember that no matter who wins, Jesus is still Lord. And so I advertised it. I told the church we were going to do this. The very next day, I got a phone call from the local news station. They said, you've got to be crazy. You want to have a service where you get Christians to pray together during the election? We want to come interview you for a, a news channel focus feature. I said, I get to be on television talking about Jesus? Amen, I'm in. So they sent over a, a videographer and a reporter, and they set up all their equipment. They interviewed me for an hour and a half. I thought, I'm going to be the only thing on the news. I, I talked with, with conviction, with theological clarity about how important it is for us to, to remain unified in our, in our Christian focus at a time like this. I, I prayed. I mean, I, I put it all out there. So I got an email the day after, and they said, okay, yeah, we, we edited everything. It's really, really great. It'll be on the 7 o'clock news tomorrow night. So I, I told everybody I knew, you've got to watch the news tomorrow night. I'm going to be the news feature tomorrow night. So I sat in front of my TV, and I got ready for me to be on the news, and 7 o'clock came, and I wasn't the lead story. I was like, oh, that's okay. There's got to be other things going on, and I wasn't the second follow-up story. I wasn't even the third follow-up story. They saved me for 30 seconds of a soundbite at the very end. All they recorded and portrayed for the news was me saying this. It'd be really good for us to pray right now. That's it. I thought, wow, I just wasted an afternoon thinking I was going to be on TV. Nevertheless, the evening of the election came, and we had nearly a packed house. It was clear that the anxieties were still there. Uh, we gathered together for worship. I preached. We shared the body and the blood together, and we prayed and remembered that Jesus is still Lord no matter what. I was hopeful that we would have a break from that kind of political atmosphere. Maybe we wouldn't have that kind of election ever again, and I was wrong. Because we're going through the same things again. And chances are we're probably going to do this again in four years. And then four years after that. And then four years after that. But for Christians, it is incredibly important for us to remember that our calling, our vocation, our belief, our faith, our hope, it is not in earthly things, but in the Lord. So with that, would you please bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, we confess that we don't know what we're going to do with you. Every time we open up the Bible and we read from the strange new world of your kingdom, we are confronted with a world that doesn't look like our own. So we don't know what we're going to do with you, Jesus. All we know that we can do is pray. Pray that you will destroy our presumptions that we are lords of life. And we fear that you would destroy this because we're afraid of death. 
death of ourselves or ambitions or things we cannot imagine. But we know that there can be no resurrection without crucifixion. So, Lord, we wonder, we wonder what must be crucified in order for resurrection to take place. And we wonder if this is what it really means to call you Lord, to let go of things we cling to so that we might be able to hold something new. And in the end, I guess this means that we all have to get serious when we haven't the slightest idea of what it might mean to get serious. So in the end, we pray, dear Jesus, that you would help us, for we have no idea what we're doing. And all God's people say, Amen. Our scripture reading this afternoon comes from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, in the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 12. Hear now the reading of God's word. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to speak. And he taught them, saying these things, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, you, when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our hymn for our service outside is number 545 in the United Methodist Hymnal. I know you all drive around with hymnals in your car, so this is going to be great. You can just pull it out and sing along with me. Uh, this is number 545. This is the church's one foundation. I think it's one of the most appropriate hymns that we can uh, sing and we can hear together uh, when we're this close to a presidential election. So I'm going to play it on the cajon and I'm going to sing it. This is uh, the church's one foundation. And just for Evan Hilton, I'm going to remind you all, I went to school for ministry and not for music. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Elect from every nation, yet one o'er all the earth. Her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. One holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food. And to one hope she presses with every grace endued. Though with a scornful wonder we see her sore oppressed by 
schisms rent asunder by heresies distressed. Yes, saints, their watch are keeping, their cry goes up how long? And soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. Mid toil and tribulation and tumult of her war, she waits the consummation of peace forevermore. Till with the vision glorious her longing eyes are blessed, and the great church victorious shall be the church at rest. Yet she on earth hath union with God the three in one, and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. O happy ones and holy, Lord, give us grace that we, like them the meek and lowly, on high may dwell with thee. Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The day after the 2016 presidential election, the day after, thousands of angry citizens in California gathered together to protest against the election of Donald Trump. And though initially peaceful, the protest turns violent as the crowds begin attacking police and lighting dumpsters on fire. Tear gas is fired into the crowd and a chant begins to rise, kill Trump, kill Trump, kill Trump. Meanwhile, a woman walks into a Walmart in the Midwest and she's wearing her religious hijab. She goes up and down the aisles picking out her different items when another woman walks up to her, grabs her by the shoulder, points at her hijab and says to her, that would look a lot better around your neck. This is my country now. Meanwhile, a man is driving through a suburb of Chicago when a crowd of young men surround his car, pull him from the vehicle and drag him through the streets. They attack him because he has a Trump sticker on his bumper. And the videos that the onlookers took, you can hear the young men shouting, you voted for Trump, and now you're going to pay for it. Meanwhile, white students at a junior high school in Michigan form a human wall blocking minority students from entering the building. And they are shouting at them, go back to your country. We're making America great again. Presidential elections, they tend to bring out the worst in us. Or, to use Paul's language, it's times like these we are reminded there is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who has any understanding. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they are all worthless. There is no one who shows kindness. There is not even one. And time after time, it seems that this is our fate. We, Christians, we are content to gather, whether online or in person, with people who believe things different than us, who look different from us, who speak different from us, who might even vote differently than we do, as long as we never have to address any of those differences. 
and we hope that after a presidential election that this kind of language will tone itself down and we can get back to living life. And yet as Christians, we are already living in the time after time. God in Christ made and still makes time for us and has quite literally changed time forever. It's just that sometimes we Christians don't act like it. As I said before, today is All Saints. All Saints is a day apart. It's a different kind of time in remembrance of the dead. It's an opportunity for the church to offer witness to the ways in which God has worked through the lives of the saints. It's a radical moment every year, rivaled only by the radical words of Jesus from Matthew's Gospel today, the Beatitudes. Blessed are you. These words have been a source of comfort and hope for people for a long time. Though at times we've inverted them and we've held them ahead, uh, above Christian's head and said, if you want to be a saint, you have to act like this. You have to hunger and thirst for righteousness. You have to, as Jesus goes on in the Sermon on the Mount, turn the other cheek. You have to go the extra mile. You have to pray for your enemies. You have to love those who persecute you. But what Jesus describes here both in the Beatitudes and in the descriptions that follow, like turning another cheek and praying for your enemies, they don't describe what works in the world. If seeking righteousness usually just leads to more self-righteousness. Praying for the person who persecutes you usually leads to more harm. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount isn't a to-do list to make the world a better place. Instead, it is a description of who God is. The poor, the mourners, the meek, the merciful, they are blessed, not because they've done anything to deserve it or done anything to earn it. They are blessed simply because God wants to bless them. To put it very simply, this crazy thing called church, it exists that we might worship God, but also that we might learn what it means to be the beautiful, beloved community in this world, here and now, living in exile from the world, where the mourning and the meek and the merciful are blessed through people like us. The people called church are in the world, but we're not of the world. The people called church, we are constituted and bound, not by political documents, but by Jesus. The people called church, we are a community that has learned to live together in spite of the things that divide us. To put it even in simpler terms, the object of Jesus' words to the crowds that day and today is that we have to be dependent on each other. It forces us to need one another. But most of us don't want to need anyone else. We've been spoon-fed this narrative of self-determination since birth, and we can't stand the idea of having to rely on other people. And this is why the Beatitudes will never make sense to people who are outside the church. Jesus' words about the mourning and the merciful and the righteous, they only make sense in light of the cross and the empty tomb. Because if those two things didn't happen, the Beatitudes are garbage. But in church, we are reminded again and again and again that we are dependent on one another, that we are dependent on God, and that we are kidding ourselves if we think we can make it through life on our own. The church is at her best when we can speak and hear the truth about who we are, that we, all of us, are sinners in need of grace, that all of us are in need of mercy, that all of us need one another far more than we think we do. But that's not how we're used to hearing about the Sermon on the Mount, if we hear about it at all. It's usually uh, sort of offered as this 
suggestion on how to live, or we say, this is, this is what the saints are like. This is how Mother Teresa lived. This is how Mr. Roger lived. In short, we're told that this, these words here from Scripture, they describe the saints. But the challenge for us today is that we cannot divorce what Jesus said from Jesus. Because unlike preachers, myself included, Jesus didn't say these words as a suggestion to people. He said, I'm starting a new world, and in me, everything's being turned upside down. Jesus is the Messiah of the beginning and the end. Through his death and resurrection, he has made it possible for people, even like us, to live according to these strange words, not by our own effort, but by the Spirit moving through us. And saints, saints, that's everybody, every Christian. We're not those who are the super best Christians with these perfect track records. Saints are simply people who know they've already died in baptism and they've been raised to a new life where the impossibility of Jesus' words are not only possible, but they're real. Which is all just another way of saying we're stuck with each other, whether we like it or not. Presidential elections can and usually do bring out the worst in us. But they also remind us about who we are. All of us are sinners in need of grace. Now, contrary to how the talking heads might want us to think, the world does not hinge on our elections. God has been God a whole lot longer than we've been picking and choosing leaders, and God will still be God long after we've cast our final vote. As Christians, we believe Jesus is Lord. That means we believe that God is God regardless of who sits behind the desk in the Oval Office. And pertinently for us today, it means we believe that God is calling us to live according to the words of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which includes, oddly enough, praying for our enemies. Can you imagine? Can you imagine praying for your enemies? How about this? Can you imagine praying for someone who votes differently than you? Sadly... That's the very heart of what it means to follow the Lord, and it has been almost completely absent during this election cycle and the one before it and the one before that one and the one before that one ad infinitum. Because instead of loving for and praying for our enemies, voters have been intimidated, people have been attacked, families and churches have been divided, and perhaps we'd like to blame politicians for all of this tumultuous, unsettling, un reasonable divides we have these days, but the problem goes far deeper than those who are running for and those who are selected for office. The problem is us. Because rather than seeing one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, we've viewed each other through the names on our bumper stickers. Rather than listening to and praying for those of different opinions, we just shout louder in order to cancel out what it is they're saying. Rather than confessing Jesus as Lord and living accordingly, we fall and pray to believing that what happens on Tuesday is more important than what happens on Sunday. Our election of leaders will always pale in comparison to God's election of us. God has elected us and we do not deserve it. We've been elected to salvation despite the copious amounts of evidence to the contrary. And Jesus calls us to a life of humility in which we pray for those whom we hate. Jesus constitutes a people who are his body on earth for the last, the least, the lost, the little, and the dead. Jesus, high in the air with nails in his hands and in his feet, uses some of his final 
earthly breaths to say, Father, forgive them, for they have no idea what they're doing. And if we're honest, he's right. We have no idea what we're doing. We don't know how to be Christian. We don't know how to live according to these words from Jesus. We don't know how to love the people we hate. But we do know this. Jesus is Lord, and Jesus isn't giving up on us. So today, in spite of the world spinning as it does with fightings and fears within and without, we give thanks to the Lord our God who makes a way where there is no way. To the Lord who creates and created a new community of love and his only begotten Son, a Lord who elected us, even us, to salvation. And so we offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. <clears throat> Would you please pray with me? Lord, give us patience and give us peace. Give us truth and give us trust. Give us life. Give us love. Give us your Son. As we gather in this strange time and in this strange way, O Lord, we are mindful of all the saints, those who have come before us, those who have shaped our lives into what they are. We pray for the courage and the conviction to be the kind of people for whom one day someone will say our name on an All Saints Sunday. We pray, O Lord, for the 230,000 plus people who have died because of COVID-19. We pray for our country that is continuing to cycle through seasons of unrest after seasons of unrest. We pray for this week. We pray for this day. We pray for this moment, but especially we pray for the saints. And so now, O oh Lord, whether silently or aloud, we name before you saints from our life, those for whom we cannot imagine being who we are now were it not for them. all God's people say, Amen. Christ our Lord invites to his table all, all the saints and all the sinners and everybody in between. Christ invites all. But before we partake in the holy food, it is good for us to confess how we have failed to be the obedient church that has been constituted in Jesus' love. So I ask you again to please pray with me. Lord, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have failed again and again and again to be the people you've called us to be. And yet we know that you are good. Not only are you good, you are great. And you saw fit to mount the hard wood of the cross in spite of our earnings or deservings. That you chose to forgive us even though we betrayed you, abandoned you, ridiculed you. So we pray, O oh Lord, for your spirit to remind us what it means to be the beloved community, a people who know what it means to forgive and then therefore can forgive others. Remind us, O oh Lord, of the good news, that you died for us while we were yet sinners, and that proves your love toward us. Amen. 
It's usually at this time of the service that we all stand up from our pews and we go around and we shake each other's hands and we say, hey, what are you all doing for lunch today? What are you doing for dinner? Uh, hey, uh, peace of the Lord, all that goodness. We can't do that right now, obviously. So what I'd like you to do on the count of three, I'd like everybody to honk their horn three times. Very Trinitarian of us. So on the count of three, I want you to honk your horns three times. Ready? One, two, three. Wow, that was like very well-timed. I'm shocked that that sounded as good as it did. Very good, very good. Uh, let's, let's pray together. Lord, we remember that on your son's final night, he gathered with his friends. He took a loaf of bread, he broke it, he gave thanks to you, he gave it to his friends, and he said, take and eat. This is my body, I'm giving it for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, Lord, remember that when the supper was over, your son took a cup. He gave thanks to you, gave it to his friends, and said, take and drink. This is my blood of the new covenant. It's being poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. So, Lord, we have gathered here to remember, but also to anticipate to think about what you have done and also give thanks for what you are about to do, even in people like us. I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on all of us gathered here and on these gifts of bread in the cup. By your Spirit, make them be for us the body and the blood of your Son, that in feasting we might be more like his body redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with each other and one in ministry to all people in all places this day and every day. And as you taught us, Lord, so now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Though we are many, though we do not think alike, we do not speak alike, we don't look alike, we don't vote alike, we are one in the body of Christ. Though we are sinners, we are forgiven through the mercy and the pardon of Christ's blood poured out for us and for the world. In just a moment, I will come by to all of the different cars. I will have uh, my mask on, I'll have gloves, I'll have the communion elements. I will also have another basket for an offering. Uh, so as I come to you, if you have an offering you'd like to present to the church, I can pick it up when I come by with the, with the communion elements. It's uh, small, a little shot glass, as I like to call it. It has two different peels on the top. The first one, when you peel it back, it reveals the wafer, the host. Uh, and then the second layer that you peel back has the grape juice underneath. So this is Christ's body for us. This is Christ's blood for us. And as we receive it and partake together, we become his body and blood for the world. Never, ever forget that Jesus is Lord, and that makes all the difference. Amen. <laughs> 